Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 6-14-2023, and we're ready to begin our worship service this evening. Well, let's have prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have. Um, we're glad to be here, Father. We recognize your calling from eternity past, and not only do we understand it, but we fully embrace what you've chosen for us our destiny, and our identity. Thank you. So, Father, as we begin uh, our worship service tonight, and in Romans, we pray for wisdom as we understand how to navigate some of the uh, principles that we will discover tonight. Father, we thank you for those who have joined, and we pray for each person uh, and in particular, those who are sick among us, that's Frederick Daniel Presley Sr. And uh, we pray for the Haddon family. Uh, they are, at this time, still grieving, although the loss of their loved one. We pray for Mike Presley and family. Father, you know all the ups and downs they have been having lately, so we're lifting them up constantly before you. We pray for Fred and Brenda, the entire Presley family. We pray for uh, Bill and his family, Dave and Dwight, and all the families associated with uh, Word is Truth this evening. And we ask, Father, that you would bring healing and comfort and financial uh, 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 solid, that you would give them uh, exactly what they need. And in some cases, we don't know what that is, but you know all things. So we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. So as, um, as we've been working through the book of Romans, we happen to be in Romans chapter 12, verses... 11 and 12 today. We came through gifts, so we're coming to some practical applications, which I think are helpful to our spiritual growth. At least we want to be able to be on record of having these things so that we can, if necessary, refer back to them and understand how the spiritual life operates from the inside. So, um, We'll get right into it, and if we do have some opportunity for Q&A, we'll definitely take opportunity to do that. Uh, but we'll, we'll jump right into Romans 12, 11 and 12, which says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. should have notes. As we continue the spiritual instruction for the church, we see that much of the admonition centers around love. It is helpful to speak about what love is and what it is not. The more we see the complexity of the Spirit's love, the more we see the ways this love works through us. While these motivations may seem to be within our capabilities, they are not. They are the result of a transformed mind and a willingness to participate in the Father's eternal purpose. So hopefully, if I don't say it, I want you to make sure you link everything that happens to a purpose. For what we're, what we're doing is not just Bible study per se, but there's a purpose in what we're doing. There's a direction in all of these things. So if you open the Bible, the purpose is defined for you. If you allow the spiritual gifts that you have to, be, to manifest, there's a purpose in that. And I hope you would see that all of this works together. So let's get into it. We, let's never be lacking in zeal. First point is when we are motivated by the Spirit, continue to give 
we ought to continue to give ourselves to the work of the Lord. And I want to turn to that thought. It's in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, I always say this when I read it. And it's easy. You probably will hear this from me more, more times than not. 1 Corinthians 15 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. One of those verses that are, to me, encouraging, motivating, it helps me recognize that I need to, when I fall down, I need to get back up and get busy and recognize that my works contribute to what God would have me do in this world. My labor in the Lord is not in vain. So when it says to never be lacking in zeal, it makes me think of that verse. So point B, the ups and downs of life in this world can wear on us. So we are not to be slothful. Now, slothful, now the reason why slothful is here is because that is what it means to never be lacking in zeal. When we think about uh, this is a negative, it is saying not slothful in the Greek. So if, if something is not slothful, then the NIV chose to translate it, never be lacking in zeal, which is the opposite, right? Anyway, so you should know that slothful means tardy, that is, indolent, irksome, grievous, slothful, or another, which is another way to say lazy. So that's a, a thought, not that we will never be worn down because this life, this world does beat on us uh, from time to time and it causes us sometimes to get weary we get tired and sometimes it wears on us causes us to have a lack of zeal or motivation or we, we can become lazy so I'm, I'm certainly pleased to recognize that God sees this and has a solution for it. Or how do we overcome that? Well, he's going to tell us. Because zeal is important. And I, I know I meant to put this, I did not put it in the notes, but we'll get to it, about the Laodiceans and what was said to them uh, in Revelation. We may or may not read it. Point B. Zeal, we should know first, zeal without knowledge is done in human power. So if you don't have the proper knowledge, in other words, the direction of where, zeal could mean you're excited about something, you're motivated, but if it's not according to knowledge or the direction of zeal is wrong, then obviously, the Holy Spirit is not behind those who refuse to have their minds transformed. Having your mind transformed is, an, is key to the right type of zeal from the Spirit of Truth. So Romans 10, 2 and 3, uh, one, let me see, Romans 10, 1 through 3. Let's read it. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So think about it. Whatever zeal they were, and they were certainly zealous, it was not based on knowledge. And now it's going to tell you the problem they had, but just know that just because somebody has zeal or they're very excited and animated about motivated, does not mean that God is behind their zeal and motivation. Now, maybe clumsily said this, but this is exactly what I'm saying. Human uh, motivation, emotion, can cause a person to react a certain way. 
But it doesn't necessarily mean the Holy Spirit is behind it. Zeal, in this verse, says you need knowledge. The Israel, uh, Israelites did not have that knowledge, uh, and as a result, they were lost. Verse 3, 10-3, Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So they thought that their righteousness, that is, by keeping the law, they thought they were keeping the law, they thought that God would respect that, hence they would be saved. But that wasn't true. There was none righteous, not even one. So Paul is saying, yeah, while they were zealous for God, they didn't understand. They just didn't understand how to submit to the righteousness of God. And so as a result, they tried to establish their own righteousness by keeping the law. So this, was, this is important to note. Zeal without knowledge is done in human power. Holy Spirit is not behind it. But when you have the proper knowledge, your mind has been transformed by the Spirit of Truth. You know which direction you should be going. You know what the Father's eternal purpose is. Then you, your zeal is now encouraged. Right? Zeal is not a bad thing. It is a positive thing. We should have the motivation uh, to, you know, to be excited about the things of God, to be interested, motivated, intrigued right, about the things of God. Point D. And laziness is common today, and, and emotion is its substitute. So when I say laziness, people mistake emotion for the zeal that they should have when it comes to God the Father's plan. So people, some people are, some, and when I say people, I mean Christians. Because if you're not a Christian, and I, gave, I just gave an example of Israel, and they were not believers because they refused to submit. But they were excited about God, but not according to knowledge. They would not submit. But here's an example of believers, and I'm using laziness. I'm saying some Christians are lazy. They don't, they don't want to grow up. They refuse, and they get distracted from what is the spiritual life. So what do they do? They, they have, a, have a substitute as well. An emotion is its substitute. And true humility requires discipline from the spirit of truth to renew our minds, right? If the first order of business after you become saved is to learn who God is. As newborn babes, as Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow up in your salvation. So that's important. That, that scripture is telling us right away as a newborn, you just got saved. What do you need? You need milk. And it's a very good analogy because you will find that the baby, the first thing that happens to the newborn baby, they want to put them on the mother's breast. They want milk. That's the first thing. So, And what a perfect analogy for the spiritual life. You're just born again. What do you need? You need milk says the Apostle Peter, so that you may grow. And then, after you've got the milk, you understand the basic principles of the Christian life, then you need to have a regimen of your mind being transformed and renewed according to the Father's eternal purpose. Now, you need to grow up. You need to understand the discipline that it takes to be able to... Uh, to submit yourself to the teaching of the Word of God. Many people refuse to do that. They may be emotional, excited about God, but not according to knowledge. True humility means, I want to know you, God. Can I, I just want to know who you are and what your will is. I, know, I want to understand you. And when you have that motivation, that is God the Holy Spirit working in you. 
so that you can come to know truth. So emotion is a cop-out. Emotion is a substitute for what people think uh, that they're motivated and they're highly motivated, but they refuse to submit to the teaching of the Word of God so that they can be transformed by the renewing of their minds. They could be emotional, highly emotional, and then they can go home and their mind will not be changed. They come back again, be highly emotional, go home, their mind won't be changed. So it is discipline. It is learning. It is you, you have to look at it like the Holy Spirit has a lot to teach. And guess what? We have a lot to learn. <laughs> We're all zeros when it comes to the spiritual life. You were just coming from a position of darkness. You have everything to learn. Emotion is not a teacher here. The spirit of truth is a teacher. So, Romans 12, 2 says it the best. We've covered this already, but it's in the context. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Only then will you know what God wants. Well, because you've learned it. Right? You understand. You've submitted to the teaching of, of, of God. And the spirit of truth has taught you the Father's eternal purpose. That is his, his goal. One, his goal is to teach you about salvation so that you can believe. Once you believe, he's going to teach you the basics so you understand uh, the foundation that we have. And then he's going to grow you up in Christ. He, he is operating on those levels to get us to the place where we're fully adults, mature in Christ. So we have a, a mature relationship with God. Not where God has to talk down to us because we're babies, but where we can have a conversation, can get into the deep things of God and understand them, grapple with the thoughts of God. And then we can talk about the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. So don't be lazy. Don't just depend on emotion. And emotion fills you up. But believe me, it leaks all out as soon as you leave. And you're right back to the same old thing. You don't know God and you still don't know God. You didn't know God, you still don't know God. If all you have is emotion, emotional stimulation. That's point D in our notes. Point number two, but keep, so never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Spiritual fervor then, as the, the verse has it, is the opposite of slothfulness or laziness. So if, he's, if we're not to be lacking in zeal, what are we, how we, what are we supposed to have? Spiritual fervor. That's what we're supposed to have, spiritual fervor. That will stop us. That's the opposite of laziness, slothful, sluggishness. <laughs> when, when you talk about the things of God, people are moving slow. It's almost like the teenager mentality, right? When, you, when teenagers don't want to do what you want to do, but they have to, you ask them to do something, they do it, but it's like they've been drugged. They can barely lift a finger. Everything is like super hard, slowly dragging their feet. That's what slothfulness is, sluggishness. You ask them to do something, they don't, oh, oh, it's going to kill me if I have to pick up that. They're lazy. But when it comes to something they want to do, oh, gosh, no problem. No problem at all. So how do you stop from this spiritual fervor? We're going to have to talk about what that is because obviously laziness, slothfulness comes from the sin nature. We've been tempted by the sin nature because we're not interested. We don't have humility toward the things of God. So therefore, these are the results. Somebody want to talk to you about God? Well, you don't want to hear, oh, you know, change the subject, please. Can we please change the subject? Do we have to talk about this again? Are we still talking about this? They don't want to hear about God. 
Their capacity for God is just put your two fingers together. That's it. That's as much as they have. So, point B, that's fervor, zeppo, to be hot, to boil of liquids or glow of solids like metal. You ever see metal heated up so hot it glows? That's like, that's what it means, fervor. That is figuratively, be fervid, be fervent, to tr it, as it is translated by strong. So the negatives, point C, the negatives are all tendencies we may develop from the temptation of the sin nature. All these negatives that we're talking about, uh, temptation from the sin nature, how does God handle that? He fights against it by the work of the Spirit. That's how he handles these negative tendencies. Well, these negative tendencies may feel natural towards us, but remember, the sin nature is not our nature anymore. So we're dead to sin, and now we're alive to God. Although the sin nature requires that our minds be renewed so it can be enacted. So it's like we got new hardware, but now renewing our minds is the new software that must run the new hardware. If we don't have the new software to run the hard, to run the new hardware, we're going to just think that we can use the old software. And we can't. We can, but it'll cause us to walk away from God and to be lazy and slothful and emotional and all the other things to substitute for what we think people want to see. But that's not it. That's not. Remember, God looks at the heart. He sees that you, you, you don't have the, the proper motivation. And this might be a good time to turn to Revelation chapter 3. And this may not be in your notes. Uh, you can pencil it in. And this is what happened to the church at Laodicea. So uh, 14, Revelation 3, 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. This is the pastor, to the pastor, the angel, Angelos, is the messenger of the church. He's not talking to an angel, he's talking to the pastor. And who is the faithful, the Amen, and all that witness, the ruler of God? That's Christ. Okay, so he's directly talking to pastors. And this is what he says, I know your deeds. In other words, I know what you were doing, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. <laughs> so this, this is what emotion does, right? Emotion makes people think you're hot, when really you're not. <laughs> I think there's a song there. <laughs> Never mind. Don't think of it. Just erase that. So I know your deeds. You're neither cold or nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. At least if you're cold, God knows. He says, look, you know you're cold and I know you're cold. But when, and, and if you're hot, well, that's great. That's where I want you to be. But to be lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, verse 16, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I would say there's hypocrisy in this as well. Because people know that they're putting on. They know that they're not hot. But they, it is popular to, to make people think you are. So if you are very emotional about God, you go to church and you know, you, you're, you're showing one thing, but really you don't know who God is. You don't know what his plan is. You don't know what the foundation is. So you've got to act it out. And God is saying, that's wrong, right? That's wrong. So verse 17, you say, I am rich. Now, spit you out of my mouth is not loss of salvation. It's loss of fellowship. Because when we have fellowship, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. So you, spit you out of the mouth is just an, uh, in Laodicea. By the time the water got to them, it was lukewarm. It was not cold. It was lukewarm, which was revolting. So he's using that analogy. Verse 17, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, 
blind and naked. So notice the two attitudes. This is what the person thinks about himself. I'm rich. I got everything. I'm on top of the world. But you don't realize what God thinks about you is you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What do you think happens when that person gets to the judgment seat of Christ? He thinks, well, I'm going to be rewarded for the things I've done while in this world. God is saying, yeah, you're not going to get a reward. You'll be, you are wretched, pitiful. And all of that will be shown for what it is. 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and <clears throat> white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. In other words, the person is blind without the understanding of who God is, without the, him allowing the Holy Spirit to, uh, to, to renew his mind so that he can understand the Father's eternal purpose. If he doesn't know that, then he's like a sheet in the wind, just blowing wherever the wind blows. So those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Have a change of mind, right? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with, eat with them Remember we were talking about eating? Well, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. See, so it's about fellowship. Peter didn't have a problem. But I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. They will, he will fellowship. And that's what we're talking about. To the one who is victorious, I will give right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice the teacher between Christ and the pastor. It is God the Holy Spirit. There it is. So we're in this where it says we're talking about spiritual fervor and having that spiritual fervor. The negatives obviously are not pleasing to God. The things that Laziness and the substitutes for laziness are not pleasing to God. The refusal to learn what the will of God is, to submit yourself and discipline through hum the humility that God has given us through this ministry of the Spirit. If you can't do that, no good. Let's look at some of the ways the Spirit works in our lives. So watch this. It's not about us. It's more about the what we allow. It's not... If we allow the Spirit, He will do these things for us. That's point D, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Let's read it. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice, this is a double negative where it says you will not. You will certainly not. You will never gratify. That's a double negative. That's the ume we've talked about in past times. So if you walk by means of the Spirit, you allow yourself to be to, con to, to conduct your life by means of the Spirit, you will definitely not gratify the desires of the flesh. Holy Spirit's in control. He will not allow you to walk in the flesh. What did you do? So you, you, so you were able to do this. What did you do? You allowed the Spirit. You walked by means of the Spirit. And what did he do in you? He suppressed the desires of the flesh. For the, and then he gives the reasoning, what's under the hood? This is what's under the hood. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Whatever you want is what the old nature told you to do. The Spirit now gives you new opportunities. The opportunity to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3. Newness of life. But what is common or natural, well, the Holy Spirit is in conflict with that. And he fights against it. And the Spirit is definitely more strong than the urge that or temptations from the old sin nature, which is not even your nature anymore. God did, 
you resolve that through the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you are not able to do whatever you want. So point, that's the point to make. Point E, we must recognize the influences impacting us. This is important. If you don't know, right, you go flying by the seat of your pants and all these influence are hitting you, influences are hitting you, you you're going to be ignorant of what these influences uh, where they're taking you. I use, I use the scripture, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, you have a choice to get drunk or not. You don't have to get drunk. But if you do choose to drink and get drunk, then there's going to be an influence over you. And that is drunkenness, right? Inebriation, however you want to say it. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's the same thing. If you're filled with the Spirit, well, then you won't get drunk on wine. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to be drunk on wine. These are opposites. Same opposites we just read, where it says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So if walking by the Spirit is the same thing with being filled with the Spirit. So... If you're filled with the Spirit, you will definitely not fulfill the gratify or, or not gratify the desires of the flesh. Definitely not. You will. So you have to just allow which influence you would have. In one case, do not get drunk on wine. You could say, "Well, I, I can." Instead, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. So I'd rather have the spiritual influence as opposed to wine which leads to debauchery so that's important to note uh, point F and this is a key verse as well Philippians 2.13 let's turn to it Philippians 2 and 13 let's just look at the inner workings of how we work for it is God <clears throat> who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So now notice, notice the Holy Spirit. When it says it is God who works in you, that's God the Holy Spirit. And what is he working in you to do? To will and to act. To will. Think about that. Just underline that word there. For it is God who works in you. To will. What is to will? It means to want. When you will, that means you make decisions around what you want. So God the Holy Spirit is in you to make you want to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Whose good purpose? This is God the Father's, the eternal purpose. So it is God who works in you to will, to want, and to act, to carry out that which fulfills God's good purpose. So when we think about the power of the Spirit in our lives, this is what's been given to us. It is more than enough to suppress whatever sinful desires, urges that we have from the sin nature. Because remember, the sin nature was our nature, but the baptism of the Spirit has what we call negative and positive aspects. What are the negative and positive aspects of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It is, he takes us out of Adam, that's the negative, and where the sin nature is, remember that, sin nature is in Adam, he takes us out of Adam, we're no longer in Adam anymore, and he unites, the plus is where he unites us to the person of Christ. So we got minus, out of Adam, plus in Christ. So in Christ, there is no sin nature. So where, where is the sin nature temptation coming from? It's coming from those old patterns, even though it's not our nature anymore. It's coming from those old ways that sin nature used to have its way with us. And those things are still in our mind, which is why we must have the discipline, the humility to allow the Spirit to renew our mind so that we can know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Philippians 2.13 is the inner workings of how the Spirit is 
engaged in us, to cause us to want, to will, and to act. Point G, moving forward. Serving the Lord, right? So where it says, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. <clears throat> serving the Lord. How are we to serve the Lord? In love, right? That's how. It is perfectly illustrated by the apostle. Now watch this, uh, Galatians 2.20, right? This is how can we serve the Lord? It's in love. This is what Paul says about it. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. So this is a choice. Paul has allowed, him, when he says he's crucified with Christ, this is the decision he made to allow himself to be crucified with Christ. That means to allow, in other words, the negative, right? We talked about how the baptism of the Spirit took him out of Adam. Well, Paul understood that, and now, experientially, he wants to separate himself from Adam. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Right? This is the new dynamic that the church age has, that Israel never had. If anything, they all crowded around the sanctuary, and they would see the on the Day of Atonement and uh, the sacrifices, they would see they would meet God, but only certain people could meet God, the priests, and there was a special ceremony. They couldn't just wander into the sanctuary and see, be in the presence of God. Each believer today has Christ living in them positionally. Paul is saying, I don't want to just know Christ is living in me. I want him to manifest in me. So how do you do it, Paul? The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. Faith means by the body of truth, the renewing of my mind that, of the, from the Son of God who loved me. So in other words, we have the mind of Christ. The, by living by faith in Christ is living by the mind of Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. So, so this dynamic in the church age is now the new life that we have in Christ. It's important that we see some of this. So point H, serving the Lord is allowing the Lord, allowing him to live through us. Think about it. Even though Christ is in you, right, positionally we're baptized and the city is seated in the heavenly realms, all this stuff, but there is a decision we can make where we allow Christ to live through us. Let's look at a couple scriptures. John 14, 19. This is point eight. Serving the Lord is allowing the Lord to live through us. John 14, 19 says, <clears throat> says this. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And here's what he says. Six, seven words. Because I live, you also will live. Now remember, in the beginning of this, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. You also believe in me. He said, he's going away. And they're upset about it. They're troubled. Hearts are troubled because he told them he was going away. But here in 19, when he says he's gone, he says on that, well, you could read before 4.19 says, before long the world will not see me anymore. He's gone. He's gone off to heaven. He's ascended. But you will see me. How will you see me? Because I live, you also will live. See, what animates the Christian life is not our emotions. It's not our hard work. It's not our trying to keep the law. What animates the spiritual life in this age is Christ. Literally. The risen, resurrected Christ who is ascended at the right hand of God where we now can walk in newness of life. And also, Colossians 3, 3 and 4, let's look at that really quick. We've read these verses before, but they bear repeating. It says, when Christ, who is your life? Now that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. It not only baptizes you into Christ, but now your life and Christ's life 
are merged. The very purpose that God, uh, that Christ came into the world and, and, and God's eternal purpose was to, to bring many sons into glory is merged. Your life is merged with the life of Christ. We are even said, he's, he's said to be the head and we're his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He is our life. That is our destiny. That's why taking on learning the mind of Christ, which is the deep things of God, which is the Father's eternal purpose. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, oh, I, think, I think I meant to read three. I'm sorry. For you died, same thing Paul was talking about, he'd been crucified, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So now your life is hidden. Now, in a lot of Christians right now, Christ is hidden. <laughs> Their life is on display, and Christ is hidden. Well, what the Holy Spirit is trying to do by the transformation of your mind is he's trying to tuck you away so that you're not visible and living in this world, but Christ is living in you. And then verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, that's when the rapture happens. You will also appear with him in glory. So, so there, that verse is uh, very telling about how serving the Lord, right? And what it means to but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, right? We know the Lord is in us. He can also manifest in this world through us. Just like the Father manifested through Christ. Christ said, don't you believe that the Father is in me? Don't you know, Philip? Remember we read that. Don't you see... Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Why? Because Christ had yielded his life to the Father's plan to the extent that it was the Father who was living and doing the works in Christ. Even though they didn't realize, but it was the Father. John 14. So, this last phrase, I think we have a little time to complete this. Point number three. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So sometimes we need to remind ourselves, this is point A, sometimes we need to remind ourselves, why should we have these attitudes? To what end? Is it the fulfillment of the, it is the fulfillment of the Father's plan. That's, to the, that's what end it is. Ephesians 1.4, we'll go through these scriptures quickly. Ephesians 1.4 says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose, when you think about um, what does it mean to be joyful and hold patient and affliction, right? All this stuff. When we think about why do we have this, it's because of who we are. He chose us. That made us special. He did not choose everyone to be in Christ chose only some for for him to say okay this in this particular age from pentecost to the rapture is where i have chosen people to be in this place that means god had to select me to be born in this age in order for me to receive the calling to which he called me in eternity past that's the deal that's where i am in Christ. So then there's uh, 3, 10, and 11. Let's look at Ephesians 3, uh, 10 and 11. It says this, his intent, wow, we don't always get to know what God's intent was. The fact that we can, it, we can say, well, God did this and he did that. Well, here God has given us the motivations in his heart, his intent. What, what, what did he, what, why did he do it? Here it is, was that now, through the church. Now, this is important. It's not just that he wanted to do something. He wanted to do something through the church. And watch what he says here. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And all of this is according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
through the church, right? That's us. And that's what we're in Christ Jesus our Lord according to his eternal purpose, right? So we have to know uh, this fulfillment of the Father's plan is because this is the destiny that we have in Christ. And these are the things that that we will be learning about, the manifold, many-faceted wisdom of God. Point B, we need to be grounded in the faith with the understanding of where we are And where are we? The battlefield, which is temporary. We're not going to be on the battlefield forever. It's temporary. Even when it comes, of course, there could be casualties on the battlefield. But when people go to war, uh, they come home. Well, some of them, they're supposed to, right? The thought is that they're going to come back home. They're not always going to be in war for their whole life. And for, for just a small time, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we've grown. Right? We're getting to that point where we should know that we're in a temp- temporary situation. God is saying that hope, when we talk about hope, be joyful in hope, that is to say that this is not a permanent situation. Who has what he, is, what he, already, what he hopes for? You already have it. You don't hope for it. You have it. So the hope is yet to come. So be joyful in hope. We're going to break those down in a, in a second here. But just to know we're on the battlefield. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, all of those things. It's only for a short time. And James says our life is like a vapor. You see it for a minute, it's like a puff of smoke. You see it for a minute. And then you look away and you look back and it's gone. That's what I... So we have the opportunity in this world to serve, right? And this is the attitude that he's saying internally that we should have. So point C, keep the focus. Stay the course. One, three... And I'll just try to break each one of those down to some degree. One, be joyful in hope. The hope set before us is our destiny which is promised now. God already told us what the destiny was. He's given us the first fruits of the Spirit. Or, another way to say it, the deposit, right? Guaranteeing our inheritance until the purchased possession, for the redemption of those who are the purchased possession. He promised these things. This is our destiny, which he promised now, but not realized until later. That's Romans 8, 20 through 23. We'll quickly read that. Romans 8, 20 through 23 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We're the children of God, by the way. For, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope, there's the hope part, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in, as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time, but not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our body. So that's the hope. Look at our hope affects not only this world, but the entire universe, all creation, all things. That's the magnitude of the glory that will be revealed in us. The whole creation is waiting eagerly for the, for the freedom of the, and glory of the children of God. Verse 21. So joyful is to understand that there will be trouble before that hope is realized. But we know we are in his perfect will. That's Philippians 1, 29 and 30. Philippians 1, 29 and 30 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. 
since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So what is he saying in all of this? He's saying that be joyful in hope. So we have hope. We know hope is coming, but that, that there's going to be something that God promised. He, he, he gave us the fruits. We see the hope. And this is what we, every day, as we get up in the morning, we renew that hope, which is according to the Father's eternal purpose. And we realize that we're still in the world. We're on the battlefield. And there will be affliction. And this is point two, patient in affliction. So we are to be grounded understanding that affliction will come to those living godly in Christ. 2 Timothy 3.13. I've quoted this verse a lot. Let's read it. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, uh uh-oh, that's wrong. (laughs) I think it must be 1 Timothy 3.13. Might have to correct our notes here. Yeah. Oh, that's not it either, is it? Oh, 13. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm missing something here. Stand by. I think I got a wrong verse here. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll have to pick that up later. Oh, no, it's 12. <laughs> Second Timothy 3.12. In fact... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm correcting my notes. It is not 2 Timothy 3.13. It's 2 Timothy 3.12. And then Romans 5, 2 through 5. So notice, as we're turning to Romans 5, that just living the godly life in Christ is going to result in suffering from the world. You can't, there's part of it. Let's read um, Romans 5, 2 through 5. Well, I'll read, Therefore, since you have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast, here it is, in the hope of the glory of God. We boast, this is the joy that he's talking about. So not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Well, why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So notice you see all the things that we've been dealing with, being patient in affliction, joyful in hope. And we understand that even though we, having this hope, knowing that we're going through the suffering, knowing that this is the will of God, brings joy to our hearts. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us. It just brings joy. So point three is faithful in prayer. So this is battlefield prayer. Faithful is to be consistent, Staying the course, knowing we are in this world of opposition. This is Ephesians 6, 18 18 through 20. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. And pray also for me. That whenever I speak words, whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We need that fearlessness. We need to be bold. And the Spirit will give us that. But prayer, faithful in prayer. This is battlefield prayer. And faithful is to be consistent, knowing we're in this world of opposition, right? Don't look for the world to pat you on the back. Don't think that the world is going to congratulate you for living a godly life. They won't. Point D, we're just about done. Ours is a life of humility. 
We cannot perform the attitudes, the gifts, the motivations if we are not depending on the influence of the Spirit of Truth. With all the, and this is point E, with all the infighting going on between Jews and Christians, the external pressures of Gnosticism and doctrines of demons, the church should have failed. But just like it says in Matthew 6, 18, 16, 18, as we close, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and it says, this last phrase, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. None of those things can topple God's eternal purpose. We can rest on that fact. Let's pause and uh, open to see if there are any thoughts, any questions that we can answer. The floor is open. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly went through this before, but I don't remember the exact response. Um, so when God said, I will spew you out of my mouth, uh, because you need a hot or cold. Yes. Spewing one out of, we know it's not a loss of salvation, but what, what, is, what does he lose? Well, what he's saying is that there's no fellowship, right? Because when you buy gold uh, refined in the fire, all that, and you get all the different things, what does it result in? Fellowship, right? So obviously, fellowship is the desired thing to have, right? If you think about it, we want that fellowship. That's what leads to the rewards that are later mentioned uh, in Revelation. Let's look at it. Revelation 3. So that part of it where he says he will... Uh, he talks about the shame of you. He's, he's talking about what's on the inside, this false motivation, right? Um, those who I would love, I rebuke and discipline. So that's what he's dealing with here. He's going to discipline. I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. The one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my father's throne. Um, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So in other words, we're in the world now. Christ was in the world and overcame. Now we're in the world. Whoever has the ear, ears to hear, let him hear. So yeah, so the, he says, I will, because you're lukewarm. He's using this analogy because you're not cold or hot. So he's using the analogy, if you studied some of the uh, metaphor of the water coming down, they had some sort of plumbing system in Laodicea. But by the time the water got to them, it wasn't hot and it, or it wasn't cold. It was lukewarm, which was revolting. It wasn't good at all. So he said, I'm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. In other words, because you're not hot, you're not cold. If you were cold, you would know there would be a prescribed way to deal with you. If you were hot, well, that's where he wants you to be, but you're in the middle. And you don't care to move either direction. You think, you think um, you're rich, acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, right? This is the attitude of the person who is lukewarm. They don't realize they're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So I counsel you to buy from me this gold re refined in the fire. That's pure gold, right? So that you can become rich. Real rich. The, the rich from God, not the rich from, from your, your thinking. Not you, you particular, Bill. But, but our, what we would think in a lukewarm state but the richness that comes from pure God, the Holy Spirit teaching us the Father's eternal purpose. That's how I, I would understand that. How do you understand it? What are your thoughts? Yeah, my thought would be that you would be out of fellowship 
I didn't think it was loss of salvation, but loss of the ability to receive blessings from God. Right. So, you know, this to one who is victorious, that is, um, he will. They will be rewarded. This is a reward to be able. I will give the right to sit with me. He will be able to rule. So the one who is victorious will have an opportunity to rule with Christ on his throne, right? What is that? That's when Christ comes to rule the world. He's saying part of his cadre, his cadre or his administration would be you because you have overcome in this area. He's saying one of the rewards for overcoming is I will give you opportunity to share in my administration in ruling over the world so this is um i thought i heard something yeah so that's what i would think that means while many people talk about loss of salvation unfortunately uh, not so yeah i think that was bill <laughs> Uh, that noise so whatever happened <clears throat> hopefully that that answer answers what he was asking Do anybody else have any thoughts there he is <laughs> okay I just well, I don't know what happened yeah it seems like but, but anyway so, yeah. <laughs> so it's a little deeper than just out of fellowship it's, it's, he's referring to this great, uh, his great coming and what he's going to share when he comes. Yes, and the rewards. You won't have part in that. Right, the rewards that he's having, that you, you will not receive a reward, right? So uh, it kind of fits into what we were talking about from the standpoint of never be lacking in zeal, right? Keeping your spiritual fervor. But if you don't, if you're lukewarm, you are in this place where he says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. You're slothful, you're lazy, right? Because you, 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 where's the motivation to want to learn the will of God for your life? What God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you don't get there, then I would say it is, you are lacking in zeal. Hence, the Greek word there means slothful or lazy. I would also relate that to the Laodiceans in, in Revelation 3. It, to me, it reminds me of them. This is why I brought that scripture forward. So true humility requires discipline. And discipline to learn. Right? If, you don't, if you think you know it already, well, then you, you won't have... You think you know the will of God, but this information that we have, in this age, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. It wasn't revealed to Israel or any Gentile in any age prior to the time God revealed it to us. This is uniquely provisioned and designed for our destiny. So God has chosen us, he's brought us here. So this, this is what it means to grow and to learn of this. This is not something where we could just read the Old Testament. Well, yeah, this is what we had and, and come to the understanding of what our calling is. No, it's not found there. It's in the New Testament epistles. It's where we're going to find our destiny, our purpose, our reason for being. So, I'll pause. But thanks for, for thinking about it. Okay, I, I got it. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, Let's get, that gives us opportunity to talk about it a little more. What, <laughs> the Laodicean church, right? Yeah, you could think about that and how people respond to God in this age. They think they're all of these things, but really what God sees of them is something else. All right, we're going to have to quit, but let's do this. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads. We'll close. We'll continue with these thoughts next week. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We pray 
as we open your word that you will continue to teach us. Give us wisdom around the things that we're studying. We thank you for your spirit of truth, the provisions that you've given us, the baptism of the spirit, the sealing of the spirit, the filling of the spirit, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, and the sealing ministry that you have provided us with, these assets in this age, so that Christ can manifest in our lives. We can be crucified with Christ in this and yet we are alive, but not us, but it is Christ who lives in us. Father, we thank you for these provisions and the spiritual life that we have in this age. We thank you for Christ who is blazed the trail and is the last Adam where we are patterned after him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.